Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cage Fighting. Matt Guy here. This is the musical multiverse of madness. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you were going to open with that, so I, I'm quite chuffed that I, I get to do it once. Um, yeah, me second, which normally means Matt's not here, but since this is the backwards world, Andrew is third. Yeah, I, I'm here as well. Um, I don't know what to say. It's really weird being like back of the queue. I don't know what I'm doing here. Hello, everybody. <laughs> well, we're recording um, a music cast today because uh, Andy has come back from the land of the supersized and we thought we'd give him a bit of a break and cover something that is very, very close to my heart and that is music. I'm going to read you some poetry, believe it or not, to kick <laughs> off um, the podcast. Uh, 21st century writer wrote, Music is key. It's the way we're set free from all this world is throwing at me and I'll do what it takes. If I make some mistakes, it's okay. Cause it's all just the way it should be. Limbiscuits in the house. <laughs> that, that is Fred Durst. And that the first line of that literally is what my feelings about music is. Uh, music in three minutes can evoke everything that a film has to do in 90 can make you cry, can make you laugh. It can bring back memories like a time machine. You know, you have your first dance at a wedding. You have your song that you're buried to at your funeral. You fall in love to certain music and, you know, it has massive implications on your life. And it's a real, real passion of mine. And um, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to give Andy a bit of a break to to do the question cast treatment, but for music. So I hope you guys are ready for what I assume are some shoo-ined Holly Valance references because they're definitely coming from Stu <laughs> in some capacity. Um, Are they? Yeah, I imagine. I imagine so. But um, just to kind of get a flavour of where you all are musically, um, talk to me through your Desert Island Discs. So your three albums or singles that if you were trapped on a desert island with with an unlimited battery on an iPod or what have you, um, you would keep with you until you were salvaged by the rescue team. Stu, what are you picking as your Desert Island Discs? Well, when it was reclassified as albums, this was easy because these, I just thought of the three albums that I've probably listened to most in my entire life. Mm -hmm. So first one's What's a Story, Morning Glory, Oasis. Mm -hmm. Kind of grew up on that album more than definitely maybe because they probably weren't that much between them really in terms of release time, but What's the Story of Morning Glory was not just a let me say a time machine piece. It was it kind of defined everything about football, about the, the clothes, about the era, about the whole mm. time period. And I listened to it I haven't listened to it for a long, long time. And then today I listened to it all the way through from start to finish for the first time in years. Again, like I do with Films that I don't want to like kill it off by overuse. Um, yeah, it's a masterpiece. Every single song on there is a masterpiece. So it speaks for itself. The second one is, I don't know if this is cheating, but it was a released album and it's Gold by ABBA. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just banger after banger, as you'd expect. Again, for a different reason, though. Growing up, that's what was in the background from 
mom playing it and stuff. So that's the kind of music that was around the house. I mean, that yeah, that from her side, and then you had things like Slade and Thin Lizzy and stuff from Dad and Gloria Estefan. But I'm not putting Gloria Estefan on this list. <laughs> Abba and Oasis, for me, very much chalk and cheese. What? No, kind of nothing similar whatsoever, but equally as important. And the, the third one has been mentioned quite a lot in the last few weeks on here. Thriller, Michael Jackson, perfect album. How can you get, how can you get so many singles from an, an album, and then they all be as good as that? Mm. And, and, I don't not, care. and it not be like a a best of or a singles collection. It's mad, isn't it? Exactly what I was going to say. And I don't care what happened afterwards. Don't care. That album is perfection. So then three on repeat. You could die happy. Happy days. I like it. I like it. I think it's funny you should say that about um about Oasis and um, ABBA. Now, obviously, ABBA weren't glam rock, but Oasis take so much influence from, like, 70s glam rock. It's funny because I don't think they're as far apart as people probably realise. Like, musically, yes, but, like, stylistically from influences, I think Oasis are probably a little closer to that than you realise because they were, they were massively influenced by T-Rex and Mark Bolan, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, no yeah. even came out and said how much of a massive fan of ABBA he was, um, saying, like, the fact that they wrote their their songbook basically by using a, an English rhyming dictionary and made pop perfection through it. So I, I do genuinely believe that Oasis were influenced directly by ABBA as well, even though you may not necessarily hear it um, in the sounds that they put out there. Mm, absolutely. What about you, um, Andy? What three albums are you taking with you to your secluded uh, island? So I've gone with like the three ages of Gillard pretty much. <laughs> so it's like the music that has made me into the person that I am now. I've also started with Oasis, but I went right back to the start with Definitely Maybe. I think this was the album that really got me into music in a more generic, wider sense. Like I'd always listened to music growing up. My mom would always play like old Motown hits and stuff like that, but Oasis felt like it was the first band that got me to sound a little bit wanky there. Um, so like as an 11, 12-year-old listening to that album, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. It really, it was just eye-opening, mind-blowing excellence on this record. And I think the first album, I think I'd got What's the Story first, but I really wanted whatever. And so I went and bought Definitely Maybe, and then it turns out that whatever was just a standalone EP. So it wasn't actually on any album. But I'm really glad that I went back and got it. And I think when you listen to Definitely Maybe, it opens with Rock and Roll Star and closes with Married with Children. So it opens with this really big, ballsy, blustery, Mm. everyone look at me, I'm going to rule the world, and ends with this comedic little throwaway song. And the rest of the album just takes you through this whole gamut of emotions. So you've got your Live Forever, which is about childhood friendships and the importance of them throughout your life. You've got Slide Away, which is probably one of the greatest rock and roll love songs ever written. And then, of course, Oasis then led me on to the Beatles, which led me to Bob Dylan, Bowie, The Stones, Elvis, Slade, T-Rex. So I feel like Oasis was the band and definitely maybe was the album that unlocked my love of more than just whatever my mom would play or whatever was on the mm. radio. So it was when I got to discover my own musical tastes, I think, there. You know, with whatever, did you ever have the Japanese version that they sold in Mike Lloyd's? I don't think so. I have got the single 
over there somewhere, but uh, I don't think I had the Japanese version, no. Yeah, see, it had Listen Up on there. It was six, six, um, six track EP. Mm-hmm. And Listen Up is number four. And no one ever talks about that song. <laughs> Listen Up's an absolute belter. Yeah. I think that's on... Stop the uh, Clocks. Yeah, but I think it's also on Don't Look Back in Anger. I think it might be one of the um, Don't Look Back in Anger B-sides. Like, I've got all of the singles of Oasis. They're the one band who it's like, I will buy everything that I can of theirs. And like if, if the lights were on in my bedroom, you'd probably be able to see the massive poster I've got signed by all of them from when I saw them in 2005. Like that, they're pretty much they're my band. Mm. Didn't realize you were so passionate about them. Mm, yeah, uh, the second album though is The Strokes. Is this it? Oh my god, that is a masterpiece. It, it really is. Like I remember when it came out, and rock music has always really been there. It's always been about guitar-driven music for me. I think, but The Strokes felt like that was something new and fresh at a time where music felt like it was starting to stultify a little bit the early 2000s they weren't really doing much for me and then this new wave of the bands came out so you had the strokes you had the white stripes the hives any band that was prefixed with the basically was ruling the airwaves and the band that was on top of it all for me was the strokes and i feel like stylistically that's probably where i've become who I am so that leather jacket wearing skinny jean wearing <laughs> Andy was born in the notes of is this it that's that's where I've come from pretty much uh, the only thing missing now is I no longer have the long mullet hair <laughs> that they, they would have had back then and that's what led me to the legendary Wolverhampton nightclub blast off so I wouldn't have got there and then discovered all this other wealth of music and come out the other side of it and then ended up going to all the festivals and doing all that so I feel like the Strokes is the uh, the soundtrack to my young manhood, so to speak. And of course, because it's New York, it then also opens up stuff like the Ramones, the Buzzcocks. So then you're into the punk, so you've got Sex Pistols. So yeah, Strokes is this it would be my second one. And my third one is Blink-182, Enema of the State. And it makes me feel like such a basic bitch to be <laughs> Enema of the State. Because it's not the best of their albums and they've got better before and they've got better afterwards. But that's the one album that I feel that really hit at the right time. They showed you that music can be fun. It doesn't have to be about the portentousness of the human condition like some music can. And there's nothing wrong with that, don't get me wrong. But it's nice to just have one that was just, you could have songs about dick jokes or fucking a dog. Like it was just ridiculousness. And it was nice to have that playful side, which then led me into a love of musical comedy. So Bo Burnham, David O'Doherty, Bill Bailey, Tim Minchin, huge fan of Tim Minchin. And then Tim Minchin's the one who led me into Ben Folds, who led me into Billy Joel, which is why I was in New York last week to see Billy Joel. So I feel like in a roundabout way, Blink-182 started the train to where I am literally Mm. this past week. Amazing, amazing. Well, for me, um, it's three similar-ish, but similar not in uh, albums. The first one would be um, Panic Prevention by Jamie T, which is his debut album. Um, Panic Prevention, it it hit a sweet spot for me in between. I was never into pop punk. I was never into 
emo music really when I was growing up. I was never really into the Foo Fighters or like softer rock, quote unquote. But I was really into happy-go-lucky indie and I was really into heavy metal and I was not into anything in between. And Jamie T just hit that sweet spot in between rapping like new metal, but indie with indie guitars and and a more pop music. With then with then the mix of it almost almost veering into hip hop as well, and the, the, his first album is just it's it, it's a it's not a concept album, but it's it, it's about his struggle with um, panic attacks and everything else, um, and it's just it's just a when you talk about time machines and you talk about something that takes you back in time, God, I'll put that album on and all I think about is going to like is going to like blast off or or, or going. Um, going to festivals and stuff like that and just have like not having any of the stress of like being an adult um, <laughs> essentially. And, and that's what that album does for me to eat a proper time machine piece. Um, the second um, album for me would be parallel lines by Blondie. Um, massive, massive love of Blondie and, and Debbie Harry. And, you know, we've talked about before when we've done, I think our arty question on, on previous question cast episodes about, um, Bands that kind of change their sounds, uh, chameleons. I think it was was that was the question, and Blondie did that. You know, they went for initially from like punk rock to more disco and dance. Well, Parallel Lines, not to the level of Thriller, but it is a hits machine. If you look at the songs that were released off Parallel Lines, it's a perfect pop album that's got its own quirkiness and its own mix that takes it out of being pop digestible uh, like easily digestible or throw away and disposable it's it's just a cracker and it's one of those things if i could have gone back to any moment in time musically and seen it live it would have been parallel lines so i would love to have been in that world during you know the the, the early days of blondie um the third album and I'm, by no means do I think this is any kind of musical masterpiece is significant other violent biscuit <laughs> Um, it's, <laughs> when you talk about Enema of the State and, and, and having fun with music, that's my significant other. Mm. It's silly, it's stupid, it, but Limp Bizkit know exactly what they are. They've never pretended to be anything other than this band. You know, their latest album is called Still Sucks. Limp Bizkit Still Sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they know exactly what they are. And that, and that album for me was the gateway to, to new metal, and new metal being my favourite genre. It's always top of my Spotify at the end of the year list. It just gives me happy, warm, fuzzy memories. And and Limbiscuit, that album does exactly that for me. And you know, music is very much about the emotions it gives you. I know that's a pretty wanky thing to say. But um it does. And and Limbiscuit brings back really fun memories. So like I've I've got tickets to go see them in in um September, I think it is. I don't think I've been this excited about anything in absolutely <laughs> ages. Like I'm gonna be like a proper screaming little girl like the Beatles. It's gonna be amazing. I sent you that picture when I was away last week. Yeah. And and there was the poster up where you were supposed to electronic artwork for the Limp Biscuit tour and they're playing Madison Square Garden. Mm -hmm. Like we're twenty something years on from their heyday and they're still a big enough band to be playing Madison Square Garden for crying out loud. I was genuinely stunned to see that. Yeah, they are. They've got you know, they've got this They've got the nostalgia market absolutely like locked down. To be fair, and you know when they play their live performances, they don't, they don't, they know exactly what they're giving. They're they're incredibly professional giving a product essentially because people just want to have a party party time when they go see them. 
And I think, you know, they don't take themselves that seriously at all. I know that like there's the Woodstock documentary about how it all went to shit when the biscuit mm. played literally with like the took the huge toilet in the background. Um, Limp Biscuit have always been ridiculed, but they they just take it on the chin like that's that's their bag. Do you know what I mean? So mm, yeah, so yeah. Well, thank you for that little warm up, gentlemen. Slightly more serious note now. I've got a bit of a hot take. First of all, before we go into any fan questions, I want to know: should politics and music mix? I've read a few articles over the last few weeks where people have said that politics and music, the the two should not meet. Um, music should be uh, a gateway to the soul, not a gateway to problems in the world, so to speak. But others would argue that actually music is such a universal medium that it might be the only way some political things are ever going to get discussed if it's in, in that forum, because, you know, I don't want to generalise, but the youth of today aren't watching the news or reading the papers, they're listening to music. Where do you guys stand on this? And did you think politics and music have a place to coexist? Or do you think that the two should be separate entities? I, I absolutely do think it's the right of the musician to tell the story that they feel is, is most apropos. I've already mentioned Bob Dylan once, and he really, before he got into the the politics of the time, he was a fine musician. But once he started talking about more than just love and what have you that's when he became a superstar that's when he started to move on from just being another musician in Greenwich Village at the time um and as you say like some people don't necessarily watch movies or watch tv but they will listen to music and there is more than just one particular type of thing when it comes to music it isn't just a case of every song just doesn't have to be about the human condition it can be about how shit the world is. You know, throughout history, we've had songs which have been anti-war protests and that ties into it as well. That ties into the politics. So I think if you've got a message, you've got every right to tell the world what you think. Whether or not I agree with that person's politics or not is irrelevant. But I think as an artist, you should put your soul out there and tell the people what your, your story is. Mm, yeah, I think that's fair. Stu, would you agree in in that sense, or do you think this is the the ramblings of people like Alice Cooper, who, you know, their 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 whole shtick is very much about the um, the obscene and stage presence, and you know, politics doesn't really play a part in what in what he does, but that shouldn't be generalistic for everybody, or, or should it? What do you think? I think it's just the case of with everything of my whole mantra of life, just do what you want, and. There's been there's so many things that like Andy said about um, war songs and protest songs. I mean, one of the best Christmas songs ever is "Bracketed War Is Over" by John Lennon. So, I mean, what more do you want? You got things like singing "Looking for Freedom" on the fall of the Berlin Wall by David Hasselhoff. Iconic moments, mm, yeah, but. It's the same like with the, uh, people always say with music and songwriting as well. You sing about what you know, and if you know politics and you've got a point to prove and you want to say something, then do it. It doesn't mean everyone has to, but if it's important to you and you don't like Mondays, then write it down and then sing about it. So it's, <laughs> I'm all for it. If if you got if you feel strong, strongly about anything, just do it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think sometimes I think it, it has been in, in the past being used as 
an easy way to um, to boost a public image at times. I think there have been certain artists that have used the politics of current events to kind of make their public image seem maybe a bit more righteous. And I don't agree with it in that sense. Like, you know, I, I don't think you can start becoming a political musician overnight and all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Like, we think we've seen it. When when all those celebrities were singing during the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I know that wasn't necessarily political, but, um, you know, we do have these moments where it, it does seem a little out of, more out of selfishness than selflessness, if that makes any sense. Mm. Um, they just made the themselves part. look like, I was going to say, I think as well, the, the other thing is that politicians have used musicians to their own advantage as well. Oh, yeah. So, turnabout's fair play. Mm-hmm. Fair, fair, absolutely. Okay, then, so we're going to listen, or I say we're going to listen, we're going to do some um, fan questions now. Our faithful listeners um, have tweeted in some questions, so I'm going to fire some musical-related questions to you. Uh, David Evans, someone has gone back in time and released the Batman in the late 90s. Who would sing the classic late 90s main song for the film? And what would the single be called, Stu? Oh, well, wouldn't you just have Nirvana? <laughs> if he's talking about the new one. Um, I don't you late 90s, would actually, wouldn't you? That could yeah. do, yeah. If we keep... I mean, I suppose you could have the Foo Fighters, who would have been a newish band at the time. Yeah, late 90s. Um, you could have had Weezer. That'd be a laugh. <laughs> I think it gives off a very different kind of tone <laughs> to the film it, if yeah. you have Weezer. It's only as bad as Hold Me Through Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me, Eat, so... God, yeah. <laughs> Embrace the era. So, yeah, there you go, Weezer. Andy, who are you um, Who are you giving this um, This absolute... It's a huge It's a huge honour to get the Batman song. I mean, no one's beaten Seal, but that's by the by. Yeah. So who books for Pattinson's Batman? Which late nineties band are you using? Um, like one of my favourite songs of the late nineties is um, Pulp. This is hardcore, which mm. I think would probably fit with the Batman. That sort of dark and dirty and dingy song. So actually, I'd probably have Pulp doing "This Is Hardcore" as the uh, the song for the Batman if they're doing a late nineties version of it. Yeah, it's a shame um, it wasn't set because. It wouldn't make any sense, but I just I could see like uh, 80s by Killing Joke. If you've heard that one, just like it mm. would literally, I could just see like when Gotham's in Wreck and Ruin, just that song blaring in the background from some random like gangster during the during the rebuild. Um, Tara wants to know: Is there a musician that you used to hate but now love, or vice versa? Um, I don't know if it's because of the allegations, but that's that's now Marilyn Manson for me. Like mm. he's like he's gone from like being this the bastion of of saving saving rock music not saving rock music but you know in all of columbine and everything else and he was kind of the face the face of that and and everything so now he's like just a pervy old man mm. called brian like <laughs> do you know what I, like do you know what i mean like that, that that would probably be for me what about you two um I don't think there's anyone who I've gone like a complete 180 on. I mean, there's bands who I've liked their first single or two and then just cannot listen to them. Like The Killers, I quite liked Mr. Brightside. But after that, you quickly realise they're just all style, no substance, dog shit. Franz Ferdinand, 
Kaiser Chiefs, Coldplay, Nickelback. Like, I liked their first singles and then just nothing else that they did after that. Sure. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the whole kind of blast off era that everything that we listened to then was good and then everything after was shit. That's that's kind of what you're saying. I think um, some of them are like the the stereotype, the dictionary definition of indie landfill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like background noise. Mm. Um mine would be well I didn't I suppose it counts. Well I didn't appreciate how good they were at the time because it wasn't cool to do so. And that was take that. Because some of them, for what they are, mm. take that at brilliant. But you say that in the nineties, you would have been beat beat to, well, beat like a seal, like you said earlier. Um <laughs> Would they would could they have be down as one of the biggest renaissance? They've had the, one of the biggest renaissances of of any like at least British band. Like when they came back, they like stayed back. I want you back for good. Is that take that? I hope it is. Because um, <laughs> when that when they came back, they stayed back and they did it without Robbie as well. So it was you know they like had I don't know if they were number ones, but they had like a string of singles that were just constantly at the top of the charts. I'm sure Patience was number one. Hmm. And yeah, that one that from really good the uh, one, one. yeah, there's one on the Morrison's advert. Um, Shine is it? Oh, Shine, that's the one, that's the one, yeah, yeah. That, uh, they had an excellent second run, rule the world is, as well. Yeah, it's not very often that bands get that second run, especially like 10 years later. And I wouldn't have thought many boy bands would get the the plaudits for it as well because they get di- boy bands generally get dismissed as being fluff whether they're great or not they're just boy bands so you just put them all onto the same landfill as everyone else where we take that for you in the pantheon of the boy band shoe were they are they up there or are you kind of like you know blue for life or five or <laughs> where are you on this well no, nothing beats the five negamix i mean let's be honest um Andy at Goldie's wedding was was dropping some shapes, even if he's going to shake his head and not admit oh, it. There. Was. <laughs> um, everyone knows the words to all them songs in that mega mix, even if they don't want to admit it to themselves or think they don't. It's just in great. It's like when you're you're born knowing the words to Mister Brightside. It's just the rules, rules of the land. But take that, at the Kings, easily. I think you you take that, and then you've probably got five and. Boys' own kind of edgy, and then the the good guys are going different ends of the spectrum. But yeah, big boss land, take that. The thing is, like, I don't think there's ever been like a genre of 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 artist that's ever been so high in terms of its success, but then as drops to such shit so quickly as the '90s boy band, the early 2000 boy bands, because now all they do up and down the country are turn on Christmas lights. <laughs> and like do like guest appearances on like bongo bingo or like thing things of that nature like piss up events for like that are in like our recruit like the hangar in wolverhampton like events like that or they'll like your friend kemp who host a host a 80s night or something like that um like like they really died on its arse the boy band didn't it i mean it very much a uh... Product of its time, I think. You wouldn't. Well, you you wouldn't get that. No, you you got them the um the Korean guys. That's probably the the closest that you're going to get to that now. But even that, they're not that young, are they? 
I don't know. I've got no idea. I've never heard a single thing by them. I'm not sure BTS, who you're referring to. Uh, I think it's, is it BTS? That's the ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard the odd little bit. But when I was in New York last week, there's this shop, and it was so uh, Katie's sister is really into this BTS stuff. So I was in this shop last week looking at this stuff to buy for Katie to give to her sister. You'd be stunned how much crap they had in there. Just an unreal amount of nonsense dedicated to them. Just the one whole wall full of it. These massive toys and teddies and everything. It is as big as take that were back then. I don't think it would even come close to how big BTS are worldwide now. Really? I've never even heard yeah. of them. Yeah, I mean, we're def- there's a definite risk of this being an old man shouting at cloud podcast, to be honest. But um, I've never heard of these guys, so I might have to, you know, see what see what they're. Oh, is it like J-pop or is it actual just normal music? It's K-pop, K-pop. So it's Korean pop music. Oh, okay. It's got a bit of a rockier edge to it. It's okay, but it's, it's not really my cup of tea. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, moving on then, so uh, Andrew Wright, has there ever been a song that you have loved or hated but changed your opinion on once you knew what the song was intended to be about? For example, people say There She Goes Again by the Lars is allegedly about heroin. So is there, some, is there a song that um, you can think of that you know you changed your mind on once you knew about the source material? Andy, do you have anything? Um, yeah, the first one that sprang to my mind was a song called Sexy Sadie by the Beatles. And it's uh, the song is Sexy Sadie, and it's about this woman who has broke their heart, basically, and just been a bitch to them. And then I found out that actually the song was originally Maharishi, and it was about the Maharishi when they went to India, and how he screwed them out of thousands, if not millions, of, of pounds. Um, and it... I wouldn't say it destroyed my feelings towards the song, but it did sort of lessen the impact of it somewhat. Mm. But I think that it did teach me the lesson that just because that's what they wrote it about doesn't necessarily mean that's what it has to mean to me. It still has what I the meanings that I attribute to it. They're still there, even though they may not be what it was intended to originally. Mm-hmm. Stu? You always knew what turning Japanese was, so um, is, is, there any, is there anything else that you can think of? Um, I'm just trying to f- find who it was by. Um, sweat. And that song... In a circle. Yeah, in a circle. That's the one. Yeah. I used to hum along to that all innocently, not knowing that it, what it was about where it's about. And you can't really do that in front of your parents, can you, you know, and at family weddings, so... That's um, that's one that came to mind straight away. It's funny. That's like that, there's an episode of um, Arrested Development when they're singing uh, Skyrock. Is it Skyrockets at Night or Star Rockets at Afternoon Night? Afternoon Delight. Afternoon Delight. Um, yeah. yeah. Then they look at each other. It's like um, the uncle and his in his niece. They're singing it to each other. Then they just look at each other. Then they realise. Oh, it's, it's good to be fair. Mine would have been um, Say It Ain't So by Weezer. Um, I just had like not listening to the lyrics at all, just kind of like enjoying the tune and just like bobbing along to it, thinking it's dead disposable. And then like I listened to the excellent um, 60 song that explained the nineties, just a deep dive on it. And it's all about like his dad leaving him and being an alcoholic and stuff. And I'm just like, fuck, you know, wait till like, <laughs> like it's probably like chain for the worse, really, because now I can't like enjoy it for the, just the pure frivolity of it. Now it's now a, a sad song about like someone's like, pouring their heart out. But I think that's I, Weezer in a nutshell, that is. Mm. Um, 
I will not go turn the lights on, carry me home. The, the clues are kind of there in plain sight. Which one's it? I think, are we talking about the same song? That's Blink, that is shit. Yeah, that's um, what I'm thinking. I'm thinking things. Yeah. I think that was another one that I'm thinking of. And that's that's got dodgy references as well. Oh, is it? Mm. See, this is, this is the thing. Like, when you start, like, pulling back the curtain and all these songs that you loved in your youth that you just pissed up to it, blast off. When you, like, <laughs> then listen to it back, you think, oh, my God, what was I dancing to? People must have thought I was all right. <laughs> like, heartless bastard. Um... <laughs> And um, finally, Matt um, Matt Cunnington, who would provide the soundtrack to the movie of your life? Can have a movie composer, pop artiste, whoever you want. Stu, who's providing the soundtrack to your life? Lin Manuel Miranda, straight away. <laughs> he can do everything. He can. He gets different types of music, so it's perfect. Mm. Okay, interesting, Andy. Um, I want Nathaniel Rightly from the Night Sweats. Um, like big, brashy brass with a Motown meets indie sensibility to it. It's really fucking great, Nathaniel Rightly face. And I don't think many people know who he is, but you'd probably recognise Son of a Bitch, if anything else. Mm. I, I just want the image of me walking down the street to Son of a Bitch playing as I'm striding along. You gotta start my thunder there, because I was just gonna, I was just gonna like leave it with "Big Pimpin" by Jay Z. Move on, <laughs> nice. but it'll probably end up being um, the Rakes. Um, I don't think the Rakes ever really made it anywhere near the level of kind of indie um, darlings as they would have liked. But the Rakes, they were excellent at just singing and making music about the absolute mundanity of just being alive mm-hmm. in England. Um, and sometimes that's just how I feel. <laughs> So I think that'd be a good um, a good option for me to be honest. I remember to have. I got to see the Rakes at uh, Leeds Festival, and mm-hmm. the lead singer was sick. I think he had mumps, if I remember correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the lead guitarist was doing vocals, and then just throughout the set, he would bring on a different mate from a different band. Mm-hmm. So then, like we had Russell from Black Party, Kelly from from Black Party, and. Um, Donny Tourette from Towers of London. Christ. They all came on and did different songs with them. And I was never that big of a Rakes fan. And then when I saw them live and doing that with everyone else, I was like, actually, this is one of the best gigs I've seen. Such I a really that, good, fun show. I had that twice, believe it or not. So Corn, Jonathan Davis couldn't uh, sing for Corn. So they had like members of Skin Dread and Slipknot and all sorts um, came on stage and Devil Driver and that. And then Metallica, Lars Ulrich couldn't drum once at Download. And then they had like loads of drummers from other bands come on. And then I suppose like it was just absolutely mad. It was like this is an absolute once in a lifetime thing. I'm never going to see this again. So it did feel special to be in that moment um, with that, to be fair. Well, thank you very much, everybody, as always, for your questions, um, especially on a musical flavour. If we ever do this again um, in the future, maybe we'll do game, uh, game uh, Gamescast or something like that. I'm sure we'll get some interesting ones as well. So thank you very much for that. So we'll move on to our questions. I have um, done the questions this week um, because I want, to, um, I want to get down to the nitty gritty about some of the important things such as TV theme tunes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the first, the first uh, question I want to know: If you could take an album, put it into a machine, spin it round, spin it round, spin it round, and make an antidepressant out of it, which album would you choose, Stuart? I mean, uh, um, this is the one that I spent so long thinking about this: which way to go. My first thought, of course, was gold again, 
by Spandau Ballet. But there's things like Through the Barricades on there, which kind of ruins it all, and that's not funny in the slightest. So you can't have that. So what I settled, what I settled on was, well, it was a tragedy, and it wasn't the last thing on my mind, and it's step one by steps <laughs> because it's fucking class. You look at look at this track list. Tragedy, say you'll be mine. One for sorrow. Last thing on my mind. Five, six, seven, eight. Stay with me. Not so good. Love's got a hold on my heart. After the love has gone. Heartbeat. Deeper shade of blue. Better the devil you know. Every single one of them. Stock Aitken Waterman esque brilliance. You put that on, you can't not smile. Look, look at your little face. Look how happy you are. <laughs> Just to the mention of it. Well, I mean. And you do, you have any, do you have any, any, anything to add on that? You asked for antidepressants, and that's what that is. I just, I, I just don't know what to say to it, Matt. Like, <laughs> I think I, this I is the kind of antidepressant that hasn't passed medical trials. Yeah. Steps were the absolute worst of that particular genre of Brit, Euro trash Brit pop that was about in the mid to late 90s. Just terrible. <laughs> Stu, where did you lie then on on when bands like Hearsay came around to try and steal the thunder of uh, of Steps? Were you into that at the time? Um, they're just a bit shit, though, are they? That's the that's the problem with Hearsay. Um, I mean, one true voice. I mean, you didn't really get much of a choice there, to be honest. That whole um, pop stars, the rivals, was a bit shit. So there's a few. I mean, obviously, S Club Seven were bring it all back and all that kind of thing. Great for what they are, but Steps were the epitome of it all. And they knew exactly what they were. And that's why mm. I've said before, when I was up in um, in Sheffield with my girlfriend at the time, I went to one of her friend's house, and his name was Bambi. And he had Steps dolls. He had them in. He hadn't opened them as well. They were like new, new in box, like Star Wars figures of all of them. <laughs> like, is it walking up the stairs? You got H on the wall. You know, it's as gay as you can possibly get, but it's brilliant. So I don't care. Answer me this then, Stu. Have you ever voted on the X Factor or Pop Idol? Have you ever spent your hard-earned money in it and voted for an act? I've um, I voted on the app. As soon as app voting came up, I did. I voted on the app every week. We got like religiously. I. I've obviously spent money voting for Eurovision, as we all know, and as we will all do in a few weeks' time. You know what? I've got something to say about that, actually. I didn't realise. And obviously, you can listen to the songs beforehand because there's all qualification. Don't do it. Don't cheat. But I haven't. I haven't. Because I was horrified to see that there's like a Euro Eurovision 2022 playlist on Spotify. Yeah. I was horrified by that because that was all the enjoyment I had last year. And I've been looking forward to Eurovision for absolutely ages. So I had a really good time of it last year. And I thought the excitement is not hearing the songs until they're for the first time and then commenting on them and going, oh, God, this is shit, this is, or this is great, this is, or, you know what I mean? So I was, I was horrified. I can't believe the world would do that to each other. Because you have the semi-final week as well. That's that's what mm. started it all. So then you get all warmed up with all the, the whole nonsense of it all for a whole week. And it's not, you're right, the, seeing the mentalness of it all on that night, on the Saturday night, Thankfully, we haven't got a game that ruins it either. So we can just fully enjoy it, not miss it with anything else. And if you stay radio silent and then just go into it with an open 
open mind in a blank page. That's that's the best way to do Eurovision. And on top of probably a few gallon worth of beer as well. But it helps. Yeah. That's it the helps. best way. It's usually the weekend after my birthday, so is it the twenty first of May this year? It's the I think it's the eleventh. I think it's the day before Norwich. Um, oh right. I thought it was usually after the season had finished. So that's no, actually we, before my birthday then if it's that. We've had it a few times when it's been um well, We've that's a had it a few times, like the community. <laughs> yeah, the, the Eurovision community. We had the ones when it was on Dean's birthday and he had a party up the um up the rugby club. And so I'd recorded it on my Sky Plus. And we all came back to mine, not knowing the result, and watched it as live. And there was a there was about eight of us in my bedroom. <laughs> Dean with a German girlfriend at the time as well, which is even more funny. But, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Andy, what about yourself in terms of uh, an antidepressant? What uh, what album are you choosing? Uh, mine is definitely not Steps. I'm going with The Cribs, The New Fellas. Mm. I love The Cribs. Cribs are just fucking such an incredible band. I've seen them more times than I've seen any other band. I think I've seen them nine times at time of recording, so I do need to get my tenth in there. Um, and... The New Fellas has just got like proper feel-good song after feel-good song. It's the kind of album where if you put you put it on in the car, like your foot hits the metal. Nice. And, and, and you go up to 30 miles an hour and no more because that's the legal limit. <laughs> it starts with Hey Seensters, then you've got songs like Martel, Mirror Kisses, We Can No Longer Cheat You, The Wrong Way To Be. They're all anthemic. You've got your bottle of jack cider in your hand pissed as a newt singing along to it and that's exactly the kind of music you want just to put a smile on your face for me something anthemic that you can belt out even though you can't sing for shit but you can all join in with that and that's what that's what the cribs are even though they can sing but they do they every time i've seen them live they've always engendered this sort this feeling of community within the gig Everyone's always been really friendly and happy and everything. And to hear it on record, they always make me smile purely because it's got all these other memories attached to them as well. So, yeah, The New Fellas, I think it's an absolute belter of an album. I think it's it's definitely all killer, no filler. I don't think it's a bad song on that album. Mm, nice. Uh, for me, it would be the third album um, by uh, Swedish Sensations, The Hives. So Tyrannosaurus Hives. Um, it's a sub 30 minute album, so it's not a long album by any stretch of the imagination, but it is just an absolute punch in the face of fast punk, indie, fun rock and roll music. It's so, it's just, it's it's a pro, it's not an adrenaline rush because it's not like heavy or anything like that, but it's just like, it's just blaster after blaster after blaster. It, it's a fantastic album. It, it It's poppier than their earlier stuff and it's you know it was their first album on a major label and i think you can tell that it is a little bit more um refined and it's a little bit more on the popular side which is absolutely nothing wrong with but you know it had walk idiot walk on it it had um two time in touch and broken bones on it um it, it, it's just it's just an absolutely fantastic album but when i need a quick fix that's what i go to like musically if i've got like a I just need a little bit of a pick me up, and I, and I want to just potter around or do something like that. This is the album I put on. Um, funny story. When, I mean, the Hives are one of those bands. I think if you've seen them, 
you almost immediately agree they're one of the best live bands you, you're going to see. That's really entertaining. I was in the queue outside of the Civic where they were playing, and um, some like just chatting to one of the chatting to one of the um, people in the in, in the queue, and the guy said to me, "I wonder if Pele will come out," and I was like. Why on earth would Brazilian footballing icon <laughs> Pele be here? Not realizing that the lead singer was, was called Pele completely slipped my mind, and like it just went silent. Like I walked into the wall pack. <laughs> like everybody in the crowd just turned around and looked at me as if I was like this absolute idiot. <laughs> and I was just like, oh man, I wish the ground would absolutely eat me up. It was I remember, proper embarrassing. I, I was probably at the same gig as yourself, Matt. Um, I'd got tickets and I really wasn't bothered about going. I would, I tried my hardest for someone to buy this ticket off me. No one would. So, oh, fuck it. Let's, let's go then. And I should say that it ended up being one of the best gigs I've ever been to because they put on such a great live show. And he's got the, he, he has got the spirit of a Mick Jagger in him, the way he struts oh, about yeah. the stage and owns it. It ended up being one of the best shows I've seen. And I'm so glad that I didn't miss it now. But I'll... Up until like five minutes before the show started, I was <laughs> determined for someone else to take the ticket off me. Because it's not lights and fireworks or anything. It's purely like them in their two-tone suits and you know, him at the front just um, mm. just being him. Um, I remember that they, they played... I, I saw them instead of seeing... I'm sorry if uh, uh, Adam Price listens to this. I saw them instead of seeing Iron Maiden at a festival once because they were headlining another stage. And um, they were just they were just so larger than life, and they were basically like getting the crowd basically to be like "fuck Iron Maiden" kind of thing. Um, and I don't think they mean it because they're, they're they're I think they're like just prof- like super professionals in the business. But yeah, they they were amazing to be fair. So the next question I want to ask, I want you to tell me the best TV show themes from the following decades: the eighties, nineties, the noughties, and the tens. Is that a thing? Do we call it the tens? Um, and then if we have any for the um, for what the little amount of the twenties that we have, you could throw them in also. So, Stu, run me through your list of the uh, favourite TV theme songs from those decades. I mean, I've got a couple for some of them. Um, so, if you're going to cheat, but eighties, eighties was going through everything that I love. <laughs> so, and it, it was. It was almost just putting it into a random number generator and assigning them numbers and just doing it that way. But in the end, the same way I did with the um, Desert Island Disc thing, the one that I've listened to the most, probably Magnum P.I. Magnum <laughs> P.I. <laughs> why, why Magnum P.I.? What does it mean to you, Magnum P.I.? It means over-the-top 80s-ness. It means Tom Selleck. It means moustaches, Ferraris. And just total eighties nonsense. That's what it means. It means to me, <laughs> and that's what what when you say eighties, that's what I think of eighties. And there's a kind of running theme with this list of mine. <laughs> 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 and I think that doesn't stop with the nineties being Baywatch either. <laughs> Which that doesn't surprise me at yeah. all, to be honest. You know, I was talking to Jude about this, and he was. I said to him, "Well." It's on Amazon Prime. You can watch them all remastered. It doesn't mean they're good. It means that you can watch them in 1080p now, but it's still there. And that theme tune. And when we used to go to the, um, when it wasn't Reflex, when it went to whatever it came after Reflex, I can't remember. Um, Pop World. Was it Pop World? 
I'm sure there was yeah, another name were. between, whatever. Um, when those opening few beats of Baywatch come on, everyone's <laughs> lost their fucking mind every single time. <laughs> because she just know what's coming. And obviously then it was remixed later again while it and re-released, and it, it did well again. So it was between that and Gladiators, but yeah, Baywatch wins. Uh, notice, again, that this 10 years... There wasn't, it was like that era where the, oh, let's not have theme tunes anymore. Like, let's cut to me. Yeah, right. I, mm, yeah. I thought, oh, lost. And I thought, well, that's just a noise. <laughs> it's a, that's it. <laughs> so. I thought, some Firefo- raised, I, thought, I thought an animal had stumbled into the yeah. recording space there for a second. <laughs> Firefly. Which I thought Andy might have, but I'm first time taking it. Um, the Firefly, yeah. Um, theme tune, which is perfectly sets the scene for what's going to come in the next 42 minutes. And that show is ridiculously good. Mm. Uh, 2010s, which I was amazed that this was even that late. And The Walking Dead came out in 2010. I was convinced it was before then. It was Again, it was between that and Game of Thrones. But mm. Walking Dead wins just because of its longevity and it's instantly recognizable again straight away from the yeah, from the is. very start and you you fiend doubting that we had anything in the 2020s at all possibly the best song on this entire list and that is obviously peacemaker <laughs> yes yeah. i thought yeah mm-hmm. yeah i should have known better than that shouldn't i yeah the greatest theme tune in tv of all time of all yeah. time that's a, yep. that's a, that's you know what I, since being in your car Andy I assume this is on Peacemaker I've not stopped listening to Wigwam yeah that's, <laughs> it, it's Wigwam who do the, the thing oh is it? it yeah yeah it's um do you want to taste it oh is that the theme tune that's the theme tune oh wow yeah it might be then in that case because that is a that is a proper tune Delta. as well yeah yeah it is really good um yeah I might have to agree with you there to be fair mm. Andy do you want to talk me through your decades. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna go from now backwards. I've actually gone back to the sixties with mine rather than eighties because I've just written it down to the sixties for some reason. Uh, the twenties, yes, it's Peacemaker. If you don't know the song, search for it on YouTube and tell us we're wrong. It is the <laughs> best theme tune, and it's got the best video accompanying it. Mm. Seeing our good friend John Cena doing that dance is just excellent. For the tens, I've gone with Big Mouth, which is the Charles Bradley cover of Changes. There's a really good video on YouTube of Charles Bradley talking about why he covered Changes, and it's to do with the death of his mother. Um, and just hearing him talk about his mom and then going to sing in this song is absolutely incredible. Like you see him properly belting it out, fighting back tears trying to sing this song. And when you combine it with the show Big Mouth, which is obviously about them going through puberty and becoming adults. Fantastic, just the, the melding of the two. And of course, with it being a Black Sabbath cover as well, it's a little bit weird that that's the choice. <coughs> but yeah, so that one. Uh, for the noughties, I've got the community theme tune by the 88s. I can't remember the name of the song, but it's this really sort of happy-go-lucky sounding song that is actually about suicide. So it's just completely 180s it. Great song. For the 90s, I've gone with the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air because, 
of course I have. You, you had to. Yeah, there's no other choice. Uh, for the 80s, I've gone with 1987's DuckTales, Ooh. which is probably only second to the Peacemaker soundtrack in the, the, the greatest of all time. Even like the remake of it from 2017 is a really good version of it, to be fair. And then for the 70s, I've gone with the Muppets and the 60s, I've gone with Sesame Street. And both of those songs have endured the test of time. I mean, Sesame Street is still going. It's still that same song. It's fantastic. Happy days. An eclectic mix, but I like it. And I like it. If we go in 60s, you can't not have Thunderbirds. I've never really been that into the Jerry Anderson um, marionette stuff. It doesn't I was adamant if you were going that far back, you'd have gone Happy Days. Happy Days is good. I mean, that was on... I think it was 74, the first Happy Days. That was on the list, but I had to narrow it down to one. And the Muppets just edges it for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. I feel like I haven't taken this list as seriously as you two. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> maybe I should have um, read the room a little bit more. I'll, um, I'll too, go back. Um, but I just went from the tens. So I had The Walking Dead initially, but then I also, and I'm actually wondering, have I made a boo-boo here? But I've gone Stranger Things. Yeah, it does. It, late late 2010s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, Stranger Things, it was like, obviously it was it massively, massively um, 80s inspired uh, and everything that goes with the electronica of the 80s. Um, but it, it, is, it is a baller of a, of a song. It feels like it's been absolutely forever since Stranger Things has been on our screens. Mm. I can't wait for that to come back. Um, the 2000s, um, mainly probably because it's my favourite TV show of all time. Um, in um, It's called Flagpole Sitter by the Harvey Ganders, I think it is, or Harvey Danders, I think. Um, the It's basically the Peep Show tune. Um, the bizarre thing was I listened to it on the way home, and after the bit that you know, it all gets a bit placebo for like a few bars, <laughs> and then it kicks back in again to the bit that you know, and I was like, I, I, I didn't quite swerve the car off the road. But like it, it, it was like, oh my god, this is horrendous. Oh, they, oh, and then we're back again. So like, it was. Um, I love that song though, and it just every time like an episode would end of Peep Show, you'd add that drum, but it would go like the it went like that, and then I'd just be singing the song like every the end of every episode. Absolutely loved it. And then we hit the nineties, where all the problems started for my list, because I had my favorite song is Keeping Up Appearances. Because I thought it's not the best song musically, but it's it's perfect for the show's substance for this woman that calls herself Bouquet instead of Bucket, and like she thinks she's dead posh, and that's exactly what this music like like had that kind of vibe about it. I also had Father Ted, which did exactly the same. It, like it, it was this very like whimsical um like piece of music that just kind of shows the mundane the, the mundanity of like priest life on Craggy Island. Isn't that a cover of um Divine Comedy? Yeah, yeah, Divine it's, Comedy did yeah. a couple of things. So they so they did the like My Lovely Horse for the Eurovision episode of Father Ted. <laughs> um, which I might have to watch soon. Um and finally, for the nineties, also the shooting stars music at the start, which was obviously accompanied by mm. them singing. Um, and then for the eighties, I struggled with the eighties a little bit because I didn't want to go down the American route. I wanted to kind of keep it keep it at home. So we ended up with Black Adder series two, 
Um, and I also then went with Red Dwarf, the Red that Dwarf theme. Um, it just, again, another time machine thing. It just reminds me of a Friday night going around to my dad's to watch. And I can just hear the music just properly, like, in the back of my mind. But, yeah. Yeah, Red Dwarf. Um, but I listened to like a five minute version, like a pro- like the proper full length version, mm-hmm. and it's like it's terrible until the woman starts singing. Like it's literally terrible <laughs> until she starts. Um, go on, Shu. I was just gonna say that there's a there's a Keeping Up Appearances podcast where they review each episode every week. Oh my god, <laughs> when are we gonna get the when are we gonna get the collaboration? Can you reach out to them, Stu? Can you can have set that as an action on the back of this podcast? I could ask. <laughs> Oh man, I, I do. It has to happen. This it's not an if; it's a must. <laughs> I haven't seen that for a long, long time. I assume it has aged horrendously. Like I imagine it's it, it's it, it's absolute mm. hot garbage, as the kids would say now. But um, well, Scott. The last time I thought about it was when Scott came out in a vest dressed like Gonzo, and <laughs> <laughs> he had a hoodie on and he had a vest underneath. You know, well, why didn't you just wear t-shirts and not go both both ends of the spectrum? But yeah, it's, it's been a while. I'm presuming it's on Britbox anyway. Well, I was trying to find Shooting Stars the other day. I wanted to watch Shooting Stars from the start, and like I could only find it on YouTube when people have uploaded the episodes in like horrendously bad quality. Mm. So I don't know where I'd find Shooting Stars to watch now. I thought about like trying to tweet Bob Mortimer, like and be like, "Listen, I've listened to your audiobook. I need to find out where I can watch Shooting Stars from the start. Can you help me?" I doubt I get a reply. Um, so finally, my final question for you today on um, on Question Cast, the musical edition, Music Cast. Bands who changed their sound for the worse. So can you tell me about a band that has changed their sound so drastically but you think to yourself, it's just really not hit home for you. So you've really not enjoyed it. Andy? I feel like I'm going to steal your thunder mask. I have a funny feeling we have the same band. Um, and that band is the Kings of Leon. Oh, it's one of two for me. So yeah, okay, but yeah, good. good. Um, I-, I loved the Kings of Leon when they first came out with um, Youth and Young Manhood, their first it, album. Yeah. Absolute belt. That's something completely fresh and new for the early two thousands. As I mentioned earlier, we had a lot of the the bands came out, and then the Kings of Leon came out with this sound that was this sort of dirty south. It was fresh, it was new, it was a bit grimy, but it felt good to listen to. Loved it. And then they did Aha Shake Heartbreak, which evolved their sound. They added depth and more feeling to it. Still brilliant, still a little bit underground. And then we come to Because of the Times in 2007. And they get their first number one, which I believe is On Call, I think was the first number one single in the UK. And I went to see them at the NEC. And I don't want to like disparage people, but it was full <laughs> of people who I don't want to be stuck in a room with there. There was the type of people, people who've clearly only know on call and all of a sudden they're now the world's biggest Kings of Leon fan. And that really soured me towards them thinking, are these the band that they've become? Because that's not the band I fell in love with. And then they did Only By The Night, the um, Sex On Fire album. And it became such a big, massive hit that absolutely everybody knows. And then they did Use Somebody as well, which is almost uh, Nickelback-like. 
it, they just sort of appealed to the masses at this point and they lost all of their indie credibility. They lost everything about them that made them special by just becoming a run-of-the-mill U2-type band almost. Yeah, they went from Southern Garage Rock to Stadium Rock, like in one album. Yeah, um, and it just and lost it. it. Yeah, I can't agree with you more, man. Like you, you took the words out of my mouth. It was like, I, 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 I think of it as one of my biggest musical regrets that I invested so much time into Kings of Leon because mm. I love them. I absolutely love them. Like I listened to um, Youth and Young, Man, Young Manhood only a couple of days ago, and it was it was bittersweet listening to it because I was like, they they let me. It was like kissing Fredo and the Godfather. I loved you. You know what I mean? Like yes, that's what it felt like for me. Um, Oh man, painful memories, painful memories. Stu, what about you? You know, when they changed was when you started getting people on X Factor doing covers of mm. um, Loose and Body mm. and Sex on Fire, and you think, oh, okay, this is it's game over now. You, you can't go back. Don't go back to yeah. what you were. I mean, I don't, I don't mind both versions of Kings of Leon. It's fine, but one. One is not the other, and I can see exactly where you're coming from. Where you can't be completely invested in either one or the other version. It's a mm. bit like when when I said a few weeks ago when when I went to see Feeder, and I'd never I, their first their early early stuff it was really like hardcore stuff. Mm. I'd never really listened to that, and then a load of people went mental for that. And then for the rest of the, the time, the three albums that I knew that well knew more of. And sang along to the kind of the jumpers in the in the. I mean, a mosh pit for a feeder gig is not something you expect, but for that uh, that early stuff, it was. And it's like uh, I was thinking, am I am I the fraud? <laughs> are we are we in the wrong place here? So I can imagine that if you you put them that the cling the hangers on and took them back to the early stuff, would they cope in that environment? Probably not. They probably wouldn't enjoy it at all. So. Yeah, it don't bother me. They don't bother me. They're not. They're inoffensive to me. Um, I was gonna put uh, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club on mine, just because it changed quite a bit. But mm. it's a bit. It's a bit too niche, even for even for us. So I've, Depeche Mode. Yes, this was part of my research. I saw that these talk us through it though. Why? Because it was. I only knew Depeche Mode from me loving the 80s and the electro pop and all that kind of stuff. And obviously just can't get enough, which everyone everyone in the world knows. You go from that to then they disappeared for a bit and come back with a song that was then covered by Marilyn fucking Manson. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds almost exactly the same. When Personal Jesus by Depeche Mode, it's nothing like it. And I hated it. I hated it because it's not them. And you think, why? Why have you they've gone down this kind of I can't, it's electro rock, maybe, if that's even a thing? It just didn't sound anywhere near the same band at all. And I thought, well, it's all, all well and good reinventing yourself. And like we said about the BGs and stuff a few weeks ago. But it seemed like going from one extreme to the other. And I don't like that the newer stuff at all. At all. Um, the early 80s, the Camp 80 stuff, 100%, bring it on. But it's just, I couldn't think of anyone else that was such a, such a swing and that, for me, not my bag. Hmm. No, fair. Absolutely fair. It's pretty much spot on what I've read, to be fair, that. 
Um, mine for me would be Bring Me the Horizon. Now, Bring Me the Horizon, if you 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 if you're into more traditional, quote unquote traditional music, radio one music, that kind of stuff, nothing wrong with it. That's that's your bag, that's your bag. You'll probably know some Bring Me the Horizon stuff. Um they are, you know, they've collaborated now with like a number of different artists. They're ra- very Radio One friendly, but there was a time where Radio, where Bring Me the Horizon would have any TikTok user, who, like or any kind of person that's into Radio One pop music, in absolute terror and hysterics because they are, they were the screamiest, nastiest, heavy music that your parents would go i can't believe you listen to that shit it's just noise music and now they're coldplay they're electronic coldplay even more so than coldplay um they're just absolute chalk and cheese of the band that they used to be like there's absolutely they you know they used to be all screaming and there's no it's all clean vocals it's all pop it's all electro synth and everything now i've never known a turnaround of a band like it now they released a couple of albums um, that the the turn was happening. You could feel it. And those are good albums. You know, one of their songs, Follow You, is going to be uh, mine and Sam's first dance song. But that says everything, doesn't it, really? It was gonna, mm. How can you have a first dance song from a band that, you know, um, one of the lines in their song is, um, I say you're a cunt. <laughs> how can any band that has that on a Radio 1, like, do you know what I mean? Like they're on Radio One now. Um, it's just a huge, huge turnaround, and I really don't like it. It's just not my bag at all. And it's I know the, again, old man shouting at a cloud thing. It's just that it's so popular, it's rancid for me now, mm. unfortunately. And that and that's where I stand on them. I, I thought you were, might have mentioned no doubt, or no doubt and Gwen Stefani. Yeah, they, they were sort of like early. Scar punkish oh, yeah. sounding, and then she now just seems to do songs that are very much for the masses, and uh, just it does nothing for me. That never. yeah, no, I, I think if no doubt had continued and went in that vein, I would have. But I think when it went to Gwen Stefani, it's kind of like talking. Except I like both of them. When um, David Alburn went from Blur to Gorillas, mm. but I just like both, so it's yeah. it's, it's just one yeah. of them. Stu, what were you about to say? Sorry. No, I was going to say, we know, doubt it. I mean, it changed, we don't speak, didn't it? That yeah, was... Yeah, yeah. That was the crossover, wasn't it, for... I remember, I remember that being, that that rotten apple being on in the video, being on the CD UK. I mean, who is this? CD UK. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the real answer, except the fact that I like it, is, is Metallica. Because they've changed, they've changed styles so many times and alienated their audience so many times. And like people have got into Metallica at different stages of their change, and like can't stand like an album at a time. They'll only like an album at a time. So when they went from like pure thrash with like Ride the Lightning, then they ended up with like the Black Album, which was just kind of just hard rock to, to metal. You had Master of Puppets, which was again a different kind of flavor. But then out of nowhere, they just go to like uh, like Western, like country music with Load and Reload, which was like completely out of nowhere. Like nobody, it was the most bizarre change. And I like those albums. I stand by the fact that if any other bands had released Load and Reload, they'd be considered classics, but because it was Metallica, people really turned off from it. 
And then in 2003, they brought out Saint Anger, which was just one of the most bizarre albums. And if you've watched the documentary, Some Kind of Monster, you can see why like that album is considered... It's it's Marmite, if there ever is one. Um, yeah, so Metallica have changed their, their, their style so many times, and it's not always been a... A swing and a hit. It's been a swing and a miss at times. Mm-hmm. I know, Andy, you're not that keen on Metallica. It's very stock music for you, I think. Isn't yeah, it? it's it's never really done it, and it almost sounds like it's wrestling entrance music. <laughs> and I know for some, like Sandman used to come out of it, and it's always felt, I should say, stock music. It's never really, it's never really got me by the balls. Like I want rock music too. It, it yeah. It's Muzak for me, that stuff is. I think Metallica fall into that category, unfortunately. Well, fortunately for them, because, again, some kind of monster. If you've not seen it, you should watch it. It's great. Um, you know, when they bring their new bassist in, they they show you the conversations about his contract, and they talk money, and you think, a band don't talk money. Come on, that's, that's not the real thing. But they go, yeah, we're going to offer you a million pound down payment, and then we're going to pay you this a year and you're going to be entitled to this and you see it you see them tell him him that when they like signs he to join metallica he signs a contract to join metallica it's bizarre they're they're a company mm. as well as a band you know what i mean they're not just a band um do they're you, a go on do you think they like hardcore coldplay fans uh, put coldplay in this list 100% man you know like when Ye- like yellow yellow. When yellow came mm. out that was it was incredible that song i loved i loved that first coldplay album yeah, same. And you the second from that, I thought was decent as well. But yeah, sorry, Shu. Yeah, you go from that, and now it is very much... It's at least X Factor semi-final closing stages kind of mm-hmm. music and like <laughs> the, uh, the Christmas lights and all that kind of thing. They do seem very different. Mm, <laughs> it's, it's the u 2 of music, isn't it? Well, like you, when you look... When you look at U2 through like the 80s and even into the early mid 90s, it was kind of rocky, and then they they know how to make money now, so then they just do more of that shit. When and was pop? I'm sure that's they, they just 90s. pump out Drek now. U2, U2 pop studio album, uh, 97, mm. which is later than I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, mm. that's when they they realize that they can make money out of doing this. And that's when they feel like they lost any sort of legitimacy that they may have had up until that point. And isn't it funny, back to one of our earlier questions in this episode, when you talk about pop and politics or music and politics, Coldplay and bloody YouTube, <laughs> it all goes full circle. But well, there we go. There we go. Well, that's um, those are the questions for Music Cast this week. I hope it's been, for you faithful listeners at home, been a, a nice change of pace. We will be back to... Um, are we doing a little bonus thing? We might be. I'm not sure we haven't if we've agreed it yet with our with our, with our next episode. But there's a few things on the horizon that um, Stu, I'm sure, is looking forward to a little bit more than Andy in, in Morbius coming out. <laughs> um, I've heard some. I've, there's like this ongoing joke I keep hearing about people saying that it's going to make like over a billion in its first week, and people have like gone mad for it on the internet. I don't know if that like it's an actual thing or not. I doubt it very much. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't look fantastic, does it? But um, if you haven't already, please make sure you follow um, us on Twitter at Cage Fighting Pod on Instagram as well. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe to us and ring the little little bell notification so you can hear first when we release new episodes. It really would be appreciated. It'd be great if you could leave us a review as well because it would help us with our um, our search on the algorithms. Um, 
you know, there might be some lonely person out there that requires three bald men from Wolverhampton to <laughs> uh, to be in their ears. You never know. But um, for this week, Andy, if you'd like to say goodbye. Take care. Stay safe. Tra. <laughs> Stu, if you'd like to say goodbye. Don't look back Tra. And from me, remember, party on, dudes. <laughs>